Welcome to the Ask in Faith podcast, where we seek Christ-centered answers to life's difficult questions. My name is Justin Bates, and I will be your host. Today, we're going to be tackling the question of what are some commonly misunderstood scriptural terms that can change the way that you understand the scriptures? And I'm going to go ahead and list them out for you real quick, and then we'll tackle them one by one. Number one commonly misunderstood scriptural term is Lucifer. Number two, damnation. Number three, hell. Number four, eternal and number five, faith. All right, let's go ahead and get into it. First off, we have Lucifer. We usually associate this with the uh, wicked cat in Cinderella or with, I don't know, it's just a sour taste in our mouths. The connotation is a Lucifer, evil wickedness. But as you see in the Bible dictionary, it says literally means the shining one. Also, light bringer or son of the morning. Um, <laughs> and then it says Lucifer is also known as Satan or the devil. So you're not wrong if you, if you think, oh, evil, wicked, when you hear the name Lucifer. But in reality, the original meaning of it is, is a positive one um, and shows us and helps us remember that even those who are very great and, and who are choosing to follow God and following the light, uh, or even in this case, the light bringer and the son of the morning, can fall. We always need to be careful not to let our pride bring us low. Okay, or, or, or bring us down, rather. Okay, so Lucifer, the light bringer. All right, let's look at the next one. Our next term here is damnation. Okay, uh, so as a, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. All right, and so this word, usually we're like damned. That means cast down to hellfire and, and, and uh, the pits, and, and it's just going to be awful forever. Damnation. Um, and while I understand that connotation, that's how a lot of Christianity understands damnation, um, we look at it a little bit differently here. Uh, I'll give you an example that might be helpful. Okay, In the Bible Dictionary for Damnation, it says, the state of being stopped in one's progress and denied access to the presence of God and his glory. In other words, to be stopped. Okay, So uh, let's see if I can kind of explain this a little bit differently. Think of the Hoover Dam, or if you have another dam near you that... Uh, what does that dam do? What's its purpose? I mean, it serves many purposes, but one of them is it holds something back. Okay, think of the Hoover Dam. How much water is held back behind that dam? Okay, and, and so in this same context of what we're understanding damnation to mean is it stops progress. Just like a dam stops water from moving forward, when we are damned, we are stopped in our progress forward on the covenant path, or in other words, forward to becoming more like Heavenly Father and returning to live with Him in Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Mother. Okay, that's damnation, is to be stopped in our progress. And as far as I can tell here, generally speaking, God isn't going around damning people because He wants to stop their progress, but in reality, we damn ourselves by choosing not to follow Jesus Christ, by choosing not to do those things that help us progress, okay? And so damnation is usually, if not always, a self-inflicted punishment because of the choices that we make in choosing not to follow Jesus Christ and do as he asks, okay? And so if we look back at that previous verse now um, with this new understanding of damnation, it says, he that believeth and is baptized, in other words, someone who believes in Jesus Christ has come to recognize them as their Savior and is baptized as a covenant and a witness to God that they want to follow him, they'll be saved, okay? Because they're doing things with their faith that help them to become more like Jesus Christ and qualify for salvation. But he that believeth not, or in other words, he that chooses not to believe and chooses not to be baptized and do those things, shall be damned. He'll be stopped in his progress and his ability to move forward on the covenant path towards God. 
Okay, another scripture that helps with this same idea is in Doctrine and Covenants section 58. Uh, verse 29, it says, He that doeth not anything until he is commanded, and receiveth the command with a doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. In other words, not necessarily cast down to fiery hell, but he's stuck. He's, he's trapped himself, and he's stuck until he chooses, he or she chooses, to move forward and to act in faith and to become more like their Heavenly Father and their Savior. Okay, and so damnation. All right, just something to keep in mind as we study uh, and we think about these words. Let's look at our next word here. This is a fun one. Okay, hell. Okay, the word hell. Uh, you probably heard this term a lot, and it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. All right, which again, when we kind of associate damnation and hell as like cast down to hell, right? And that it's this terrible, fiery with Satan, I don't know, poking you with a with a pointy stick or something. Like we have these weird imaginations, the media gets us to think of what this is. Uh, but let's look at a definition here. This is in the, excuse me, the Guide to the Scriptures. Um, and it says, Latter-day Revelation speaks of hell in at least two senses. First, it is the temporary abode in the spirit world for those who are disobedient in mortality. All right, so like a temporary place. That's not something you usually associate with hell. And then it goes on, in this sense, hell has an end. The spirits there will be taught the gospel, and sometime following their repentance, they will be resurrected to a degree of glory of which they are worthy. Okay, so this could be those who uh, had the gospel in mortality but chose to not follow it. Okay, they'll in in this sense, hell could be a, a spirit prison. Okay, the the life, the 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 time after this life before resurrection, where someone um, will suffer for the choices that they they made. Okay, and then if they are repentant, then they can inherit a kingdom of glory. All right, it says those who will not repent, but are nevertheless not sons of perdition, will remain in hell throughout the millennium. Okay, so these people will continue in hell until the end of the millennium. After these thousand years of torment, they'll be resurrected to a telestial glory. All right, so that's one definition of hell. Okay, it's kind of a temporary situation. Second, it's a permanent location of those who are not redeemed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. In this sense, hell is permanent. It is for those who are found filthy still, as discussed in Doctrine Covenants. This is the place where Satan, his angels, and the sons of perdition, who have denied the Son after the Father has revealed him, will dwell eternally. The scriptures sometimes refer to hell as outer darkness. Now, this is probably what we're normally referring to as like not in the presence of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, not a kingdom of glory, dwelling with Satan and his most dedicated minions right? That's outer darkness. That's perdition. That's hell in the context that we usually think about it. But the vast, mass majority of God's children are not going to perdition or outer darkness. They are going to inhabit some sort of temporary um, period of, of repentance and, and potentially punishment until they are ultimately resurrected and receive a kingdom of glory. All right, so uh, that's something to keep in mind with hell. Uh, it, it can have different meanings depending on the context, and you just got to be careful that you're understanding the context. Sometimes spirit prison within spirit world is referred to as hell, um, and sometimes outer darkness is hell. So you just got to look at the context, okay? So we've done Lucifer, damnation, and hell, very dead, down, fiery kind of stuff. Let's move on to something a little more encouraging and, and uh, good, all right? So eternal is a word I want to look at next. This is one that's commonly misunderstood. In Moses chapter 7, verse 35, we hear the Lord say, Behold, I am God, man of holiness is my name, man of counsel is my name, and endless and eternal is my name. Okay, so this is really interesting. So a name for God is eternal. 
Okay, and you can see it's in capitals there, which means it's a, a proper noun, I believe is the, the English grammar expression, right? Like it's a, it's a name, it's a title. All right, so let's look how he uses this title. Okay, Ver Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, he says, The eternal God is thy refuge, right? So he's describing himself as eternal. Okay, let's look at another example. In the doctrinal study section of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.org or churchofjesuschrist.org, uh, there's an eternal life subtopic, and it says in the first line, eternal life is the phrase used in Scripture to define the quality of life that our eternal Father lives. Okay? Um, and here's something else that it adds. Okay, so we, we're again associating this God's life, or eternal life is God's life, because eternal is a name for God. All right, Doctrine and Covenants 19, verse 6 talks about punishment, okay? And this kind of ties in with damnation and hell that we were just talking about. Doctrine and Covenants 19.6 says, It is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. And it goes on. Again, it is written eternal damnation. And then verse 8, I will explain unto you this mystery. Verse 10, I am endless. Okay, this is Jesus Christ talking. And the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment, for endless is my name. So when we, we talk about eternal punishment and endless punishment, um, often, if not always, this context, the context matters here, right? It's not to say that the punishment will endure for all eternity so much as it is a punishment given of God. When we talk about damnation, we talk about hell, we talk about eternal, context matters, um, and we need to look closely at the word choice. Now, on the flip side, if we talk about eternal life, again, that's God's life. If we talk about eternal glory, that's God's glory. So when he promises us eternal life and glory and all of those things, we need to keep in mind that that's like him. We're striving to have a life like his, glory like his, to be like him when we see that. And when we want to have an eternal perspective, that's not just see things in a big picture. It's see things the way that God sees them. Let's do our last and final word here. The word is simply faith. Sometimes people will say, I have faith that things will work out. I have faith that my car will start. I have faith in whatever. But when we separate faith from Jesus Christ, we rob it of its power and we cause ourselves to misunderstand what faith really is. Um, give you an example. For faith to be efficacious, it must be focused in and on Jesus Christ. For it to be salvific, it must be focused in and on Jesus Christ. You look at the examples in the scriptures, Christ says, thy faith hath made thee whole. But if you look closely at those particular situations, it's their faith in Jesus Christ. For the woman with the issue of blood, it was, it was not her faith in something, that allowed her to be healed, but it was her faith in Jesus Christ and his power to heal her if she could just touch the end of his, his, his robe. Okay, it's faith in Christ that allows us to receive the blessings. Um, that's what allows us to be made whole. And so we're going to look at an example here in—I uh, don't have the quote for this one on screen, but in Preach My Gospel, which is a missionary manual for those— full-time missionaries that go out and serve, uh, spread the gospel throughout the world in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It says this, quote, faith leads to action, including repentance, obedience, and dedicated service. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you trust the Lord enough to follow his commandments. That's a close quote. All right, I love that. Faith is a principle of action. It's not just, Lord, I believe, because we know in the New Testament, the Lord says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. It's not just 
believing or professing belief. It's doing something with that belief. It's a principle of action and power is the way it's been described. It's not a passive concept, and it should motivate righteous action. And we have to look no further than uh, Jesus' half-brother James. In the book of James chapter 2, verse 17, James teaches, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Oh, sorry, let me pull that up. Okay, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. That's not to undermine faith, right? Faith in Jesus Christ is essential. But it's meant to be a jumping off point, not the finale. Okay? It's meant to be something that motivates us to do the things that God asks us to do, not just to believe that He is. All right. Now, if you go to James chapter 1, flip back a chapter, he also says this James 1 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, I don't want to undermine at all the importance of hearing and believing in Jesus Christ because ultimately he's the one with the power and he's the one with the capacity and the grace and he's the one that sacrificed himself and performed his atonement so that all mankind could be saved. But he also asks, or not but, and he also asks us to follow him. Ours is a God of high expectations and he expects us to do more than just say, Lord, I believe. He expects us to show that belief by the way that we live our lives. I hope that's helpful for you. Um, these are just five quick words, but I hope this helps us understand a little bit more about who God is, what he expects of us, and I hope it also reiterates that as we better understand the scriptures, as we study them deeply, including the words and the, what the words mean, we will better understand who God is and how he works with us and what he wants for us. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you like what you're hearing here at the Ask in Faith podcast, please don't keep quiet about it. Like, share, subscribe, follow. We want this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to all the world. And we know there are lots of people with hard questions that deserve Christ-centered answers, and we'd like to help them to find those answers. Thank you so much for joining with us, and please come back next week for our next episode of the Ask in Faith podcast.